Crime Happens contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Happens, where we uncover the evil that surrounds us. I'm your host, Chris. I want to thank my good friend Hope for bringing this case to my attention. Let's get started. Online dating has become so mainstream these days. It seems no matter what your relationship goal is, there's an app for that. But that doesn't mean they're safe to use. Cairo 7 News in Seattle interviewed several women for a recent article to find out what their experiences were like using dating apps, and their stories are scary. One woman said she met a man on OkCupid named Tony, but when they met in person, she noticed his credit card was under a different name. On their very first date, Tony grabbed her upper leg within two minutes of saying hello. He kept grabbing her and forcefully kissing her. His unwanted advances continued, even though she told him no and swatted his hand away. She quickly ended her date with him and immediately blocked his number and profile on OkCupid. Not long after this scary date, the very same Tony went on to sexually assault a woman in her car. According to charging documents, this woman met Tony on Tinder. The first night they met in person, she agreed to give him a ride home, but once in her car, he lunged at her and began kissing her inside her car. He forced his hands down her pants and into her vagina. Fortunately, she managed to get away from Tony. She went to the police, pressed charges, and Tony was caught. Obviously, Tony's not the guy's real name, and he's also being investigated in connection to other similar cases. On these dating apps, you can be anyone you want to be, and you can have countless profiles. In fact, these women say that Tony simply created new profiles and continued to contact them. Some people do have positive experiences using these dating apps, but the horror stories are more common than you might think. This is one of those stories. Ingrid Line was a 40-year-old single mom living in Renton, Washington. She was also a nurse at the renowned Swedish Medical Center in Seattle. Ingrid was married to Philip Line until they divorced in 2014. Two years later, in April of 2016, Ingrid and Philip's three daughters were aged 7, 10, and 12. Even though they were divorced, they remained on good terms and shared custody of their girls. Being a single mom with a demanding full-time career, Ingrid didn't have a lot of free time. Because of their convenience and easy access, she turned to online dating apps in search of romance. Although taking care of her girls was her primary concern, she still managed to date off and on. A close friend of Ingrid's told People.com that she met Ingrid back in 2007, just a few years after she and her family moved into the neighborhood. Both she and Ingrid were pregnant with their first children at the same time. She said, quote, we hit it off right from the beginning, and we had a core group of girls that would get together often and go out. Or in the summers, we would just sit outside and hang out with the kids. 
She was the fun one. She didn't care what people thought. She was loyal. She was a good person. She was feisty. She was fun. And when she came into a room, it was like Ingrid's here. Unquote. It was April 8th, 2016, on a Friday night, and Ingrid had made plans to attend a Seattle Mariners opening game with a man she had met through an online dating app. The man's name was John Carlton. They had been dating for about a month, long enough for Ingrid to have developed a certain amount of trust in him. The last time anyone saw Ingrid was when she was leaving to attend the game. According to friends, her plan was to meet up with Carlton at the stadium. It was about 10 a.m. Saturday morning, April 9, 2016, and Ingrid's ex-husband, Philip, stopped by her house to drop off their kids. When she didn't answer the door, he became concerned. He knew she wasn't scheduled to work that day and should have been expecting him. After calling her several times with no answer, he called her mom, Georgia Bass. He asked her if she knew where Ingrid was. Her mom said that she didn't know, and now she became concerned as well. Her mom grabbed her extra key to Ingrid's house and headed over there to meet Philip. The two of them entered the house and immediately found Ingrid's wallet, purse, and cell phone. But Ingrid was nowhere to be found. Her silver 2015 Toyota Highlander was missing as well. Her mom called 911 and reported her missing and her car stolen. This was at 10.10 a.m. Saturday morning. Ingrid's mom then contacted some of Ingrid's friends to see if they had heard from her, and one of her friends said that she had received a text from Ingrid at about 10.35 p.m. on Friday night, saying she was on a date with a man named John. Her mom wasn't familiar with anyone named John that Ingrid might have been dating. Since Ingrid and her mom shared a Verizon account, she was able to check her phone records and immediately saw a reoccurring number. Ingrid's sister did some research using the phone number and found out it was connected to the Facebook account of John Robert Carlton. Her mom sent a text message to the number and addressed Carlton by name. She asked him when was the last time he had seen Ingrid. She also said in the text that she had called 911. Carlton texted back saying, 911, what's going on? We went to the Mariners game last night but we didn't stay the night together because she has her kids today. Not sure what she has told you about me and our relationship. Her mom replied, She's missing. What time did you see her last? A police officer needs to speak to you, as you may be the last person who saw her. Carlton didn't respond to that text. In fact, her mom never heard from him again. Desperate, she sent a series of follow-up texts, begging him to reply. Texting, Can you please call me? I know your name is John Carlton, so please call me. Please, John, did Ingrid say anything about someone coming to see her after you separated from her last night? We can't find her or her car. As I said, her phone and ID and purse are at her house, but she and her car are gone without a trace. Any help would be appreciated. We're desperate. She would never just go off and leave her family. All of these texts went unanswered. It was now Saturday morning at 10.20 a.m., about the same time as her mom had reported Ingrid missing, that Carlton made a weird Facebook post saying, quote, started going to school at all of them, unquote. 
Ingrid's friends saw this bizarre post and tried reaching out to him with no luck. When they weren't able to reach him, they became very suspicious. John Robert Carlton was born December 28, 1978, and was 37 years old at the time of this story in 2016. An ex-girlfriend named Heather tells People.com she met Carlton back in 2012 while they were both working at Burger King in Great Falls, Montana. She says they dated for about six months and even moved in together for a while. Heather says, quote, He came across as this charming, witty, and intelligent man. He seemed to have a good, strong head on his shoulders. I was very smitten by him, adding that Carlton spent time dabbling in the stock market but she admits there were some things that were off about him with his personality. For example, the way he thought about people and the world was kind of bothersome and that it wasn't possible to convince him on anything. At the time they were together, Heather says Carlton was on probation for theft. She also said that when Carlton drank, the charming man vanished and he became a completely different person. He was very mean and very violent. One time he put his hands around my throat and choked me. It scared the heck out of me, unquote. Heather said that after the choking incident, she broke up with Carlton and they never saw each other again. According to another ex-girlfriend, Carlton worked as a day laborer and spent his nights at a shelter in Seattle, except for the two or so nights a week he would spend at her house. She told detectives She'd known him for about a year and even let him store some of his things at her place. Like Heather, she also claimed that Carlton was a mean drunk, but said he had never hit her. Carlton has been in trouble with the law most of his adult life. He has a lengthy criminal history in six states and served jail time in Utah and Montana. He's been convicted of aggravated robbery, felony theft, grand theft motor vehicle, assault, and third-degree larceny, in addition to arrests for battery. He was also found guilty of possession of marijuana in 1997, but the charge was deferred. Carlton was convicted of negligent driving in Washington State in 1998, second-degree felony for aggravated robbery in Utah in 2006, and felony theft in 2009 in Montana. On March 2, 2006, his own parents, Ray and Joanne Carlton, filed for a restraining order against him because when he got drunk, he would scare the shit out of them with his violent behavior. On the request form, his father wrote, quote, We found him drunk in our home in Thurston County, Washington, where he acted physically threatening and verbally violent for a couple of hours. During this time frame, he removed a movie from the shelf called Hannibal, starring Anthony Hopkins as a serial killer and cannibal, set it in front of my wife, and told her she should watch this and beware. His father also wrote that Carlton abused crack cocaine and has been known to hold grudges for several years and exposes his frustrations when under the influence of alcohol or drugs. These frustrations he displays can be very intimidating and cause fear of violence." Unquote. In addition to his violent criminal history and the repeated terrorizing of his poor parents, Carlton also invested a significant amount of time looking for women to use and abuse via dating apps. 
He created profiles on several dating apps and met numerous women this way. Carlton used his real name and some of the dating apps where he had accounts included Plenty of Fish, Mingle2, OkCupid, and Zeusk. On Mingle2, he described himself as a 37-year-old man from Seattle looking for a woman for friendship. He went on to say, I like to disclose information about me in person. I enjoy meeting people online and meeting up for coffee or drinks to get to know each other. He also had a profile on Zeus. A woman who met him on that site said he seemed fine on the phone but was creepy in person. And another woman who met Carlton on OkCupid said that initially they had exchanged texts one evening that seemed normal, but the next day his texts got all weird. She describes him as creepy too. On Plenty of Fish, he writes, My intent here is simply to make friends and meet up for a good conversation. Not much of the crowded bar or club type. Mellow and quiet is more my scene, adding, I'm not here for dating, only friendships. This is not some scam to get laid either. Ingrid had a profile on Plenty of Fish too, although it's not confirmed if that was the dating site they met on. At around 4 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, April 9th, in a seemingly unrelated incident, a call came in to 911. The caller was Mike Navazio, a South Seattle resident who lived about 10 miles from Ingrid's house near Safeco Stadium. Safeco Stadium is the home field of the Seattle Mariners baseball team. Mr. Navazio had been away for a few days and purposely left his recycling bin out on the curb so it would get picked up while he was gone. When he got home, he grabbed the bin to put it away and noticed it seemed very heavy when it should have been empty. He looked inside and saw three plastic bags. He was curious to see what someone had put into his recycle bin, so he tipped the bin over and reached in to pull out the bags. Mr. Navazio made a very gruesome and shocking discovery and immediately called 911. In the 911 call, he says to the operator, This is going to sound really bizarre, but when I went to go grab my recycling bin, there were three white trash bags in the recycling bin. I went to lift them out and honestly, it's freaking me out, but it looks like it's a foot. In a later interview on CNN, he says, quote, I grabbed the first bag and it was almost professionally packaged and that was very eerie. I could see as I pulled it out what was the outline of a face, unquote. When the Seattle homicide investigators arrived along with the medical examiner, they opened the bags and confirmed that the bags did contain human remains. They were able to determine that the bags contained a human head, a foot, a lower leg, and an arm with a hand. Investigators immediately searched missing persons reports and learned Ingrid Marie Line, a white female born August 8, 1975, had been reported to the Renton police as missing that very morning. Because the body parts were found so soon after her murder, there was minimal decomposition. This allowed authorities to use her driver's license photo and photos from her Facebook page to tentatively identify the face as belonging to Ingrid Line. 
the King County Medical Examiner confirmed the identity of her remains, saying she died of homicidal violence. But let's face it, you don't need to be a medical examiner to figure that one out. On April 15th, more of Ingrid's remains were found in a cooler just a few blocks away from DeVazio's house on 20th Avenue between East Union and Marion Streets. On April 19th, even more remains were found at a recycling center on South Hanford Street. Some of Lyne's remains have never been found. It was 12.30 a.m. Sunday, about 14 hours after Ingrid was reported missing, that detectives obtained a search warrant and began searching her house. In the kitchen, investigators discovered a nearly empty box of plastic garbage bags, which appeared to be identical in color and size to the bags in which Ingrid's body parts were found in. In the bathroom near the bathtub, detectives found a 15-inch pruning saw. Relatives confirmed that these items were not typically there. Well, I don't know of anyone who keeps a pruning saw in their bathroom. They also collected swabs of suspected blood. With the discovery of Ingrid's body parts found in a nearby recycle bin and a pruning saw found in her bathroom, investigators were connecting the dots. On Monday night, crime scene investigators returned to Ingrid's home for a second look. This time, they removed the plumbing beneath the bathtub and found blood and bits of human flesh inside the tub's drain. Obviously, something horrifyingly grisly took place in that bathroom. Homicide investigators said Carlton quickly became their primary suspect when they learned he was the last known person to see Ingrid. Ingrid's mom showed detectives the text message exchange she had with Carlton. Based on this exchange and the fact that he did not call her or contact the police as she had asked him to, only added to their suspicions. On Saturday morning, John Carlton was supposed to go over to his ex-girlfriend's house to help with some yard work. He was a no-show and sent her a text saying that something had come up. He did finally arrive, but it wasn't until around 10.30 that night. When he showed up, his girlfriend noticed that his lip was injured, and he told her that he had been robbed. But she didn't really believe him since she noticed that he still had his wallet. Using cell phone records, detectives tracked Carlton down at his girlfriend's home in Lake Stevens, Washington. His girlfriend's home was a gray townhouse in the Eastgate Highlands community. Lake Stevens is about 40 miles north of Seattle and 50 miles north of Ingrid's home in Renton. When they arrived at the townhouse on Monday morning, April 11th, detectives served a search warrant and went on to remove several boxes and bags filled with evidence. In addition to gathering evidence, Carlton was taken into custody. Late Monday night, while Carlton was in police custody, they also recovered Ingrid's SUV vehicle in downtown Seattle. With Carlton in custody, Investigators read him his rights and began the interview process. Detectives stated that Carlton seemed rather nonchalant during his interview and appeared annoyed when they asked him about Ingrid's disappearance. According to court documents, Carlton told police that he had stayed with his ex-girlfriend in Lake Stevens on Saturday and Sunday nights after attending a Mariners baseball game with Ingrid on Friday night. Carlton acknowledged that he knew Ingrid and that they had been dating for about a month. 
He said that he had spent the night at her place on multiple occasions. He told investigators that they went to the Mariner game on Friday night, and then they stopped at a bar in Seattle where his sister worked before going back to Ingrid's place. He told detectives that he was so drunk that he couldn't remember how they got back to her house or what happened after they got there. He thought they had had sex, but that Ingrid was acting weird. Carlton also claimed that because he had blacked out, he couldn't remember if he had attacked Ingrid. He admitted to investigators that he had a drinking problem and said that he was not a normal person. He told investigators that he had no idea how he left Ingrid's house that Friday night, but thought that she had given him a ride back to Seattle. But he does remember sleeping on the sidewalk. Afterwards, he said that he spent both Saturday and Sunday night with his ex-girlfriend in Lake Stevens. He couldn't or wouldn't provide any other details. Although Carlton denied having any injuries, detectives observed scratches to his chest area, abrasions on his left hand, and injuries to his lip and chin. They knew it was possible that these injuries were obtained during a struggle with Ingrid. Investigators believe Ingrid was killed by Carlton in her home on Friday night and dismembered in her bathtub. He then loaded up her SUV with her body parts and drove her car around the Seattle area to various locations where he dumped her remains. After dumping Ingrid's body parts around Seattle using her own Toyota Highlander, Carlton left the vehicle downtown and took a bus to Edmonds, which is about 20 minutes from Lake Stevens. His girlfriend picked him up and brought him back to her place in Lake Stevens where he stayed with her for the weekend before he was ultimately arrested on Monday morning. The evidence accumulated by the Seattle investigators clearly incriminated Carlton in the murder of Ingrid Line. On Wednesday, April 13th, the Seattle King County prosecutors charged Carlton with first-degree murder and theft of a motor vehicle. Carlton initially pleaded not guilty to the charges, but eventually changed his plea to guilty. As he entered the courtroom, he walked right past his parents, who were seated there and never even looked at them. He confessed to stealing Ingrid's car and strangling her to death, but he never discussed how he dismembered Ingrid, and it wasn't legally required for him to explain. Because of this, family and friends were spared the grisly, gruesome details that would have come out if Carlton had gone to trial, but they most likely have questions that will never be answered. Carlton was sentenced to 27 years in prison, which was the harshest sentence the judge could hand down under the state's sentencing guidelines. The judge stated, quote, what you did was vicious and cruel beyond anyone's belief, unquote. She added that Carlton's crime was made even worse by what he did to Ingrid's body after she was killed by dismembering her and disposing of her remains at different locations throughout Seattle's Central District. Carlton's parents were present in court, explaining that they were there to support their son and out of respect for the horror and pain Ingrid's family is going through. It's amazing that a parent's love for their child does not care that he is a deranged murderer. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, it's just an observation. Carlton spoke briefly, saying, quote, I agree there are no words that can alleviate the pain I've caused. For that, I'm truly sorry. Unquote. A motive for the murder of Ingrid Marie Line has never been disclosed. 
I think Carlton could explain what happened if he wanted to, but I don't think he ever will. Remember the Cairo 7 interview at the beginning of this story? Tony was not the guy's real name, but using a real name is no guarantee of safety either. Carlton used his real name and look what happened. And just to underscore the point, another woman who wanted to remain anonymous told Cairo 7 that she met John Carlton through OkCupid, but never met him face to face because even during their texting, Carlton made her uncomfortable. After hearing that Carlton was charged with murder, she said, quote, I'm happy I trusted my intuition and I encourage other women to trust theirs because I could have been that victim, unquote. Whether you're a man or a woman, authorities say, do your research, listen to your gut. If things don't feel right or just don't add up, move on. It's not worth it. Thanks again for tuning in to Crime Happens. All episodes are researched, written, recorded, and audio mixed by me. Crime Happens is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, and other podcast platforms. Please follow or subscribe wherever you listen. Check out my website at crimehappens.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at crime underscore happens. I'll be back very soon with an all-new episode. Until then, I wish you well.